Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is the Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Hello and welcome to you all. This is Canada's most irreverent talk show, the Andrew Lawton Show, here on True North on this Tuesday, August 15th, 2023. You'll have to excuse me. We are using a new program for today's show, and I was just been told there's a little issue with my audio. And I was told to make sure that my microphone was set up properly, and it was set up properly. So anyway, all that aside, uh, we had such a, like an energetic start, too, and then it's the technical glitch that uh, throws us off. So apparently it's working now. All right, we're good. Uh, the big, th- big story that I wanted to talk about today is uh, this piece in the Canadian press that was uh, published everywhere. CBC picked it up, CTV, I think even the Toronto Sun did. And it is a story taking aim at Pierre Polyev and the Conservatives over their discussion of the World Economic Forum. Now, this is a, a file I know very well. I, I've been to Davos for the last two World Economic Forum conferences. Now, before you like start throwing up crosses and yelling at me, globalist, globalist, you should know, I was there as a journalist to put questions to people, and I did. I put questions to many of the participants of the Davos elite. I put questions to Klaus Schwab himself, though he very quickly put up his hand and said, I've got somewhere I have to be. And then he scurried into a room that even with my media credential, I was unable to access. Uh, What did you think of my Klaus Schwab impersonation, by the way? It could have been a little bit more menacing. As my friend Mark Stein says, the sinister Teutonic megalomaniac hiding in plain sight as a sinister Teutonic megalomaniac. But all that aside... The World Economic Forum is very clear about what it wants. It wants a world in which the people who go to the World Economic Forum are the ones in the driver's seat. You may recall Klaus Schwab telling people that, oh no, the future doesn't just happen. Let's also be clear. The future is not just happening. The future is built by us, by a powerful community as you here in this room. We have the means to improve the states of the world, but two conditions are necessary. The first one is that we act all as stakeholders of larger communities, that we serve not our only self-interests, but we serve the community. That's what we call stakeholder responsibility. And second, that we collaborate. And this is the reason why you find many opportunities here during the meeting to engage into very action and impact-oriented initiatives to make progress related to specific issues on the global agenda. The future is built by us. Yes, and that is exactly the world that the World Economic Forum wants. The most charitable dismissal of concerns about the WEF is that, oh, it's just a talk shop. It's just a little conference. They don't actually do anything. But as you heard from Vistor Schwab himself, the value proposition that's put to the people who spend millions of dollars to be members of the WEF and to go to the conferences year after year is that it isn't just a place where talk happens. It is a place where action 
happens. And I mean, as I've said, it is a place where business leaders will pay millions of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars to go there. Politicians are there for free. And that's because they're the product being sold. Christopher Freeland doesn't need to pay to be, pay to be there because the CEO of Microsoft is paying to be there with Christopher Freeland. Now, why you'd spend $250,000 to hang out with Christopher Freeland, that is a question I will ask you uh, many, many times if I get the chance. But that is the problem here is that the politicians are the product being sold. And they're the reason that what's happening there is so influential. Now, all of this is to say that there are very real questions we can put to Canadian politicians that like to go along with this. One is, what is in Canada's interests? about this. One is what are Canadians getting out of it? Three, how much are you spending to be there? Four, is it hypocritical for you to fly around the world for discussions that are all about how we need to do more with less and watch our emissions and all of that and countless more questions? Now, these are not conspiratorial. These are very legitimate policy questions. We have a cost of living crisis in this country is hanging out in the mountains with billionaires the best thing to be doing? Is it the best use of your time? And does it benefit Canadians? Well, Pierre Polyev and the Conservatives have been talking about this issue. Now, fully candid that I know the Conservatives have themselves been participants of this. Stephen Harper spoke at Davos. Several of Harper's ministers, including John Baird and Maxime Bernier, spoke at Davos. And the point I've raised about this on the show in the past is that the WEF of 15 years ago is not necessarily the WEF of today, or certainly the level of influence is a lot more now than it was back then. And also the way that politicians engage with it has changed. It used to be an opportunity where you'd see politicians show up and actually represent Canada there. They'd speak about Canadian interests. They'd advocate for Canada. And over time, the WEF stopped being more of a forum and started to be more of an active lobbying organization in and of itself with its own policy agenda, its own goals, and its own objectives. And politicians started to be emblazoned in WEF regalia, like the Young Global Leaders Program, for example, and were less so wearing their national colors and more so singing from a WEF songbook when they showed up there. They were all too willing to attach themselves to this agenda and this organization. And when Pierre Polyev speaks up and says, you know what, we are going to reject the globalist elites, reject the globalist Davos elites, which is what the conservatives said in a fundraising email that was sent out the other day. That strikes me as a very legitimate thing to say. Now, that's not to say there aren't many conspiracy theories about the WEF, but you don't need to find conspiracy theories. You can just use the organization's own language and own mandate to find ample reasons to criticize it. At the very least, it is a waste of time and a waste of money. At the very worst, it's a policy agenda that spells bad news for Canada, its interests, and certainly Canada's economy. But when Pierre Polyev raises these concerns, the media pounces. The story in the Canadian press uh, is accusing Trudeau or accusing Polyev of, quote, embracing language of mainstream conspiracy theories. This is, as Polyev puts it, a hit piece through and through. It quotes two so-called experts, one of whom is a liberal donor, but uh, they conveniently leave that out of the article. These political science professors who offer nothing whatsoever that justifies how Polyev is embracing conspiracy theories, they just expect us to take their word for it. 
And they go beyond that. Uh, if you look on Twitter, some of the rhetoric from people like, for example, Rachel Gilmore here, who's a TikToker and former Global News journalist, she says that Polyev's email is, quote, insane behavior, unquote. She calls on reporters to be brave enough to cover it. Well, reporters already were covering it. Uh, but then she calls the word globalist an anti-Semitic dog whistle used in conspiracy circles, an anti-Semitic dog whistle. So by this measure... Anyone who uses the word globalist, uh, certainly in the context of Davos, is an anti-Semitic dog whistler, right? I believe we have a news headline that uh, is worth looking at here. Trump the populist descends on globalist Davos. Ooh, that sounds menacing. That is from the uh, far-right anti-Semitic uh, hate rag CB CBC. Okay. That must be that must be a mistake there. Uh, did you Photoshop that, Sean? Did you uh, did, did they actually say fluffy roses and you took it out and put in globalist or is that no? That's the original. Okay, well that's a little bit weird. So maybe just maybe globalist isn't the evil, scary, anti-Semitic dog whistle. Maybe it's a term that people have been using for years that has its own meaning and its own context. And even the media was using that word in 2018. But no, in 2023, when the conservatives use it, it is because they are evil, scary, right-wing, anti-Semitic hate mongers. Lovely. This is where discourse has descended. And there are many people who would love to dismiss all the legitimate criticism of the WEF as simply conspiracy theorizing, because it saves them from having to engage on why this organization, which has co-opted a lot of the media, I mentioned in my coverage last time that when I went to Davos the first time, I had no papers. I was unaccredited. They had rejected me. But last time around, they actually said I could go with accreditation. And I was all excited. And then I had a bunch of people pounce on me because they said, oh, yeah, you're uh, you're you're being co-opted just like Christian Freeland was. Because she years ago used to be uh, writing the book on how terrible these super rich guys are. And now she's like one of them chumming around in the Swiss mountains. But no, no, I just had an orange badge. This I should have brought it out for the show here. But this was the media badge. Now, the white badge is the really coveted one that you get when you're an invited guest of the forum, when you are a Davos elite yourself. And a lot of journalists get white badges because, oh, they're invited on the panels and they're invited to speak and they themselves start hobnobbing with the elites and very much join their ranks. So a lot of the media in Davos for the WEF is not interested in being critical or even skeptical of the organization. And I mentioned in a substack I wrote yesterday, I, I do my own substack, andrewlotton.substack.com, that a serious media would be challenging Canada's ties to the WEF, not smearing those who do, like Pierre Polyev or Danielle Smith, who was asked about it yesterday. And I believe we have the clip. Do we have the, the clip of Danielle Smith? We do not have the clip of Danielle Smith. Let's uh, we'll get that clip in a little bit later. But basically, Danielle Smith gave a, a very reasoned response to this, which was that uh, she does not, in any of her time talking to people in Alberta, have anyone coming up to her and saying, "You know, Premier, what I really think you should do is go to the Swiss mountains, uh, hang out with the Davos crowd, because I think that is going to really help Albertans out, or in the Canadian context, to help Canadians out." So. What exactly is so dangerous about the Davos agenda? Because admittedly, they get credit for a lot more than they do. Sometimes uh, the criticism is just directed at some wacky person saying something on a panel. And there are many, many, many examples of that. But I think there's a serious point there, which is that you have to look at the type of people 
that Davos invites and the type of people that Davos accepts and the type of ideas that are entirely uncontroversial to utter in a room there that are so wildly disconnected from the world around you. Take, for example, this clip, which I shared, I believe it was in 2022, of J. Michael Evans, who is the president of Alibaba Group, which is a big Chinese enterprise, although he himself is Canadian. And he was just boasting about this brand new little program that Alibaba was developing, which is coming soon to your phone. Developing through technology, an ability for consumers to measure their own carbon footprint. What does that mean? That's where are they traveling? How are they traveling? What are they eating? What are they consuming on the platform? So individual carbon footprint tracker. Mm. Stay tuned. We don't have it operational yet, but this is something that we're working on. Ooh, an individual carbon footprint tracker. Stay tuned. It's going to be the most exciting launch since Barbie and Oppenheimer, an app that monitors what you eat, where you travel, what you buy, and how you live. Now, of course, it's all voluntary. No one has to install the app. It's not like uh, China would do a social credit thing to monitor your compliance with it. Or, oh, maybe it's going to be like those programs you install in your car to get cheaper insurance, where uh, the carrot is dangled in front of you that, oh, if you drive better, you get a cheaper rate. Hey, that sounds fine. It's voluntary, right? Uh, well, this is exactly the problem that we are going to be up against here. And we have Spencer Fernando, who is joining us on the show to talk about this in just a, a couple of moments here. But uh, before we get to Spencer, I, I want to put this clip as well. Again, when I talk about the type of things that you can get away with saying and doing in Davos, this is a banking CEO from Norway. Uh, Kirsten Braithen, I apologize if my Norwegian accent is not up to par, uh, where she talks about the transition away from oil and gas. And she had a very specific word to describe the impact such a transition will have. We need to accept that there will be some pain in the process. Uh, the pace that we need will, uh, will open up for missteps. Uh, it will open up for uh, shortages on energy. It will create inflationary pressures. And maybe we need to start talking about that, that that pain is actually worth it. Because if we don't, uh, there's no business case, okay. there's no economy, there's, there's no welfare. But, but so far, I think we are, have been a little bit careful actually talking about the pain in the short term that is likely to come from, from, the, from this the very important yeah. change. Oh, great. It's a nice little recognition that the transition away from oil and gas is going to come with a little bit of pain and we should talk about it. But oh, wait, no, the pain is worth it. So all of you people who lose your jobs in oil and gas, yeah, that's going to be painful, but it doesn't matter because it's all for the better purpose. It's all for the greater purpose of moving us to a greener, cleaner world. Again, the type of thing that has people in Davos nodding along and clapping but in the real world has very real consequences. And it's not just benign and certainly shouldn't go without being challenged and without being criticized. But in Canada, we have a media that is unwilling and unable to ask these questions and instead smears those who do. And uh, by the way, I have to whip out the greatest hit here. You may wonder, well, what's this got to do with Canada? It's not like the WEF has any control or influence over the Canadian government, right? Well, let's ask Mr. Schwab. What we are very proud of now is the young generation like uh, Prime Minister Trudeau, um, President of, of uh, Argentina and so on, that we penetrate the cabinets. So yesterday I was at a reception for Prime Minister Trudeau and I know that 
half of this cabinet or even more half of uh, half of this cabinet are for our actually young noble leaders of the world economic right. forum we penetrate the cabinets we penetrate we penetrate the cabinets i mean that's the kind of word that you might think would attract some attention i imagine if for example uh, one of the Koch brothers or uh, who else who's like the evil scary right winger i don't know that stephen harper he's the head of the idu which i know gets the left all riled up uh, what if stephen harper said oh yes we i mean he would be not as exciting as penetrate cabinets he'd be like well we uh, penetrate the cabinets of governments around the world and i look at the government here and i say well uh, half of them are mine they're graduates of my program people would be a little bit perturbed by that wouldn't they that would raise just you know maybe a couple of questions where is the curious skeptical media now i mean the, the most charitable interpretation of this is that Klau, klaus schwab is all bravado he's just bloviating he's trying to you know puff himself up and tout his own influence and make it seem like he's controlling the canadian government he doesn't actually control the canadian government to which i say okay but why are the Canadian ministers like Christian Freeland and Francois-Philippe Champagne and uh, Justin Trudeau occasionally, why are they going along with it? Why are they feeding into this belief? Are they representing Canada when they go or are they representing the WEF or are Canada's interests and the WEF's interests just so inextricably linked now that there's no distinguishing between the two? Uh, let's bring in Spencer Fernando here, a fantastic independent journalist. And uh, apart from half the cabinet, not, as I understand it, an alumnus of Klaus Schwab's Young Global Leaders Program, although who knows, apparently half the people uh, in the country are here. Spencer, it is wonderful to talk to you. Thanks for coming back on the show. Good to be here. Uh, now, how this all started, of course, is Pierre Polyev says what he's been talking about for quite a while here. And then the Canadian press just pounces on this and, and accuses him of embracing conspiracy theories for expressing a position that I think most Canadians would probably find utterly unobjectionable, right? Yeah. And, you know, one point I, I make when I talk about uh, the WEF and how people respond to it is that uh, there's a big nuance that's being missed, obviously missed on purpose by the media, which is there's really two kinds of critics of the WEF. There are the, the legit conspiracy theorists, the ones who claim, oh, they, you know, they caused the pandemic, obviously no evidence for that, no one credible believes that, who claim that there's some, you know, evil, sinister organization, you know, controlling the whole world behind the scenes. But then there's the very legitimate criticism, which is what Polyev is talking about, which is that, you know, if you look at what they talk about, it's this kind of policies that are hurting Canada right now, you know, driving up the cost of energy, you know, moving decision making, you know, away from a lot of you know, national governments and, and the electorates of countries having influence over their governments and, you know, bringing things up to, a, you know, a higher level that's more detached from the day to day lives of people. And that's obviously a negative thing. So, of course, the, the media is not making that nuanced point. They're not talking about how there's different kinds of criticism, uh, some that are legitimate, some that are not. They're just trying to lump it all in as a conspiracy theory and hoping that it'll just stop people from talking about it. Yeah, and it was a very similar dynamic to what we saw on a lot of the COVID discussions where, you know, there were people that absolutely had, you know, any number of conspiratorial beliefs. But then we also mm -hmm. had this group in the middle that are saying, well, hang on, I, you know, I believe COVID's real, but I've got questions about how it originated, or I'm skeptical that we need a vaccine mandate or a vaccine passport to get through it. And then those people were accused of being conspiracy theories, theorists. And it's become one of the most effective vehicles 
to really shut down criticism. If you can just uh, really lump it all into one category and say anyone raising any questions is a conspiracy theorist, even if in the case of Polyev, the media failed to come up with a single example of anything he said that was conspiratorial. The accusation was really just, well, he says this stuff and other people have conspiracy theories about them. Yeah, I mean, all you have to do is just play like the clip you played there, which is what's actually funny about that is, you know, uh, the Norwegian lady there was a lot more honest than most of our politicians. She was at least admitting that the policies she supports are going to cause real pain. Right. I mean, you don't you don't see that kind of honesty from the liberal government. I mean, on the one hand, they say, oh, we're very worried about the cost of living. Oh, here's a new carbon tax. You know, here are a bunch of policies that drive up the cost of energy. So they, they never even have the guts to admit what they're actually doing. But yeah, you know, it's, you know, we've, I think we've seen how this plays out, you know, in, you know, f- you know, four or five months, there'll be some mainstream media article saying, well, actually, the WEF does have some problematic aspects to it. You know, here's why people are legitimately concerned. It's almost like they want to be the ones to get there first to talk about something. And if they don't, then they just dismiss it until they start talking about it. Then it's legitimate. As you say, with COVID, you know, you couldn't bring up the lab leak idea. Oh, no, that's, that's totally, that's, that's insane. Only crazy people believe that. People got banned from social media for talking about it. People got in serious trouble. And then all of a sudden, you know, a year or two later, you know, New York Times, other, you know, credible publications, you know, as, as some people see them, they start talking about it. Then, okay, now it's it's okay to talk about it. Now it's okay. And that's a big problem in a free society because the whole point is we're supposed to, you know, find out the truth through debating ideas openly and honestly. And if we just, you know, shut people down for having opinions that are not, uh, you know, that people think are too conspiratorial, then we're not going to get to the truth, right? Yeah, you're you're quite right about that. And and I go back to, I don't know if you were on when I brought it up, this headline in CBC of uh, taking aim at Davos when Trump was there. And they, you know, say Trump the populist descends on globalist Davos. So when Donald Trump was going there, it was all too easy for the left to criticize this and say, oh, yeah, it's these out of touch elites. And now that, you know, it's the right that has concerns with WEF. Uh, it seems to be conspiratorial in, in the same people's eyes. And I can actually fully admit that uh, the left may have been much better at sussing out the problems with this organization many years ago because it used to be i mean christia freeland when she was a journalist wrote the book on this organization and made a lot of very good points about it uh, naomi klein who i don't agree with on very many things as well was a, a very very uh, significant critic of, of this and a lot of the left-wing protests that they there used to be there were kind of the very similar things that we see in like the Bernie Sanders, Donald Trump uh, agreement on, you know, the problems of free trade and the problems of globalization and how it's really become a, a class struggle in a lot of ways. And I, I think that there's something perhaps that the right could have learned about that sooner. But it is interesting the way the media responds to these things, because when it was the left raising these criticisms, there was never that I recall any denunciation of them. They were never called conspiracy theorists. But now that the right is raising these concerns or more of the right raising these concerns, it's we have to denounce the denouncers. Yeah, I think a big thing, too, is that there's been, you know, a, a not so shut, a subtle shift in, I don't know if you want to call it political ideology or the way people talk about things. But, you know, what does it mean to be conservative, you know, liberal, left, right? There's a lot of overlap and a lot of, I think, confusion for people. And so, um, you know, it used to be very conservative to say, well, you know, keep taxes low, have free trade, you know, be very capitalist and, you know, support the free market. I'd still define myself that way. Well, whether that's still considered conservative or not, you know, you're seeing more of a shift towards, you know, state intervention, cultural conservatism in some ways. 
But I think the media, instead of talking about the nuance, which I guess goes over some of their heads, they just they look for the easiest you know thing they can say, which is oh, uh, fascism, uh, conspiracy theorist, uh, you know, anti-Semitic. I see some people trying to call polyam anti-Semitic, which is obviously absurd. And so it's just a lot of it's just laziness. It's it's not wanting to delve deeper into the issue, not wanting to deal with any complexity or nuance. It's just what's the quickest insult I can find to make the whole issue go away, or just label someone badly, and then people will stop talking about it. So I think that's part of what we're dealing with too. Is just very lazy journalism in many cases. What's your thought on, on how Polyev has been relatively unrepentant? Because I know the last couple of conservative leaders, Aaron O'Toole and Andrew Scheer, were, were both fairly timid when it came to the media. And they, they both really buckled when the media w- was going after them. Whereas Polyev, to his credit, hasn't done that. And even on the WEF stuff, he came out after that CP article and just said, no, it's a hit job. It's ridiculous. I, I'm not buying into it. Uh, do you think he'll be able to keep that up? And do you think he will keep that up? I think so. I mean, the polls are, are looking pretty good for him. Um, you know, obviously, that's how he campaigned for the leadership. So I think, you know, I don't see him wanting to change from that perspective. Even if he did, I think he'd face so much pressure because of how he campaigned that he wouldn't really be able to. Not that, he, of course, he wants to. And, you know, the reason I think it's working, and this is, I think, a deeper point for why the liberals are struggling, is that things are just bad in the country. I mean, you know, we can we can talk about all the complexities of certain things, but in many cases, people are looking around and saying, well, the liberals have been in power for eight years and things are getting worse. Uh, okay, this guy, Polyev, well, what's he talking about? Okay, you know, we need affordable housing. We need to deal with crime. We need to lower the cost of living. You know, pretty common sense things. People look at that and say, well, at least this guy's addressing the issues I have. And then they turn on that news and they say, oh, the liberals say Polyev is a dangerous, scary conspiracy theorist. And I think people are just going to start to tune that out. I mean, they've heard it so often. It really doesn't match up with reality. And so I think, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not shocked the liberals are, tra- are trying this. I mean, they've got to try something, right? In politics, you throw whatever attack you think is going to work, but they don't really have much left in terms of saying, oh, look, look how great we're doing. Look how great things are for you. Look how affordable everything is. And so the the other issue too is much of the establishment media. You know, if you look at Bill C-18, how they're all lining up behind that, despite it being an absolute disaster, they're really just desperate for money. And they know a conservative government is not going to give them a bunch of money, is not going to you know, restrict social media companies and restrict free speech for their benefit. And so they now have a vested financial interest in trying to keep the liberals in power. So I think it's important to filter you know, our perception of their coverage through that lens as well, which is that, look, they want the liberals to stay in power because they want the liberals to give them taxpayer dollars and restrict you know, independent competitors. So that's going to certainly shade their coverage. Yeah. And to be honest, when you talk about how terrible things are for Canadians right now, a lot of these issues exist outside of Canada. And that's a legitimate question of the WEF on a different plane, which is, okay, you guys think that you're solving the world's problems here. Well, you had Putin speaking in 2021. And a few months later, Russia invades Ukraine. You had, uh, you know, all these great people uh, in the private sector and the public sector talking to each other about solving things and inflation's out of control. We've got Europe that is in for another very cold winter because of energy issues. So, I mean, even if you don't believe that they're influential, the question is, all right, what are you providing? What what service are you providing to world leaders that go there when you failed at the most basic things? And I, I don't know if uh, there's an answer for that. And, and, you know, to Canadian leaders, I'd say, why? Wh- where's the value proposition? What are you getting for Canadians when you hang out with these billionaires? Because I've yet to see that. Yeah, I think a big part of it is just, uh, you know, it's like a club for people, you know, um, you hear all oh, the celebrities are going there, you know, politicians are going there, you know, people want to get involved and, you know, be seen there. And, and, you know, I guess it's some sort of credibility boost in some cases. But I think, you know, a big part of all of this is that there's a lot of people who have, you know, they're, 
it's a good way to put it. They're almost their purpose in, for living in, in many ways is all about being involved in some sort of, you know, world historical battle or, you know, being a <laughs> historical figure. I think Stephen Gilbo uh, is, is a good example of that. He obviously sees himself as some sort of heroic figure who, oh, it doesn't matter how many, you know, people he hurts, you know, economically, it's all for the greater good. As you mentioned earlier, you know, the, the so-called greater good that a lot of politicians use to do things that are really good ideas. And so he's, he's obviously sure that he's the good guy. He, he doesn't question himself at all. You know, he just gets more and more aggressive, you know, more restrictions on energy, more bans on plastic and everything, you know, make, make people's life more difficult for the greater good to save the planet. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, Davos, I think, gives people a chance to congregate and, and feel like they're being part of something, right? Oh, they're part of, you know, reshaping the world and saving the planet. And so, you know, when they're told, well, actually, you know, nothing you do is working. It's only making things worse and people don't really like you and don't want to hear this kind of stuff. They're not just going to give in, right? Because this is their whole, you know, their whole purpose is built up in that. And so I think that's something we need to look at for, you know, the types of people we elect and types of people uh, we trust in a position of power is you don't really want people who think that they're, they're saving the planet or that they're, you know, some big historical figure. You want someone who wants to manage the government well, you know, keep taxes low, have services be relatively effective. You don't, you don't want people who have some sort of massive mission in mind. And so I think that's that's part of what the whole Davos thing is. I mean, obviously, Klaus Schwab, you know, I think I think he does sometimes talk up his own influence because that's, you know, where his sense of purpose comes from is, you know, he's orchestrating everything around the world. I'm sure it makes him feel good to see people say that about him. But, you know, if the WEF was really running everything, I think they'd be a little more careful and subtle about it. I mean, would you pick Klaus Schwab? Like, basically seems like a villain ripped out of a James Bond movie. Would he really be the front man for it? I mean, a little too on the nose sometimes, I think. Well, yeah, yeah, you're you're right about that, and that's the problem. I mean, it's like even if the WEF is not the shadowy global cabal of people running the world, man, do they not do much to dissuade people from taking exactly. that image? Yeah. It's like right out of central casting, and like you know, as a futuralist built by us, it's like, yeah, okay, fine, fine. Yeah. Uh, Spencer Fernando, independent journalist extraordinaire. You can get his work at spencerfernando.com. Always good to talk to you, Spencer. Thanks for coming on. No problem. Take care. All right. Thank you very much for that. And by the way, let me just point out here that when you go there, it's a very weird place. And I've been to two now covering it for True North. And and I've been very grateful that there's been so much support for our coverage of this. But it's just an odd place because on one hand, it like has all the trappings of a regular conference. You go and you're like, oh, yeah, you run into this person and that person. And oh, you're beside, you know, so-and-so at the urinal in the bathroom. But it just happens to be the king of the Belgians or something. And you're like, well, that's weird. You know, the last conference I was at, it was, you know, I don't know, some, you know, county warden that i was at the urinal beside now it's the king of the belgians so uh it's it's odd and then you you go and they all of these like swag bags you know except i was walking down the street once and it was really really cold the snow was coming down and the united arab emirates was handing out mittens and toques to people with these little united arab emirates bags and i'm like well on one hand do i want free swag from the united arab emirates no but on the other hand am i very very cold right now and could i benefit from united arab emirates swag so uh i think you know the answer to this question that I have a United Arab Emirates toque and gloves. Actually, no, I think they were out of the gloves. I think I might've only gotten the toque. I think Sean might've, I, I, Sean, do you remember, did we get the toques and the gloves or just the, just one or the other? He, he got gloves. Maybe I got the toque and he got the gloves. And that was the, uh, that was the trade-off there. And then the hot chocolate. I did like the hot chocolate video last time of like, you know, Facebook's hot chocolate and the Swiss government's hot chocolate and Zurich's hot chocolate. But uh, you, you can't let yourself get sucked in by that. This is an organization that for all the oddities of it has a very serious and very radical policy agenda. And I think that's why, I mean, it's fun to look at sort of the oddities of it, but you also have to talk about the serious 
seriousness of it and talk about the meat of it. All of this discussion about the World Economic Forum leads me to this here that I wanted to tell you in that True North is going back. We are returning to the World Economic Forum annual meeting 2024, which is coming up in January. And we are going to be covering it with the biggest team we've ever sent there. We are going to have uh, more people on the ground and we are going to be talking to uh, the movers and shakers, talking to the global elites, whether they want to hear from us or not, and really putting the questions to them that we've been talking about on the show, questions that Pierre Polyev and Danielle Smith have raised and questions that the media in this country generally, certainly the legacy media, refuse to raise. And one thing I will point out about this is that it is incredibly difficult to get there. The World Economic Forum seizes all of the hotels in the area, basically, before they even announce the dates, which means that the second the dates are announced, every hotel is sold out. So you're left with Airbnbs. Many of those are booked out to the same people who go back year after year. Uh, we found a, an Airbnb, a town over last time we were there. This time we could not get it. And we ended up having to find accommodations very far outside of Davos. We're still looking uh, because we want to be able to get closer, but we had to find accommodations uh, in another, literally in another country, in Austria, on the other side of the border. And we are going to commute day in, day out, unless we can find something closer. And even then we have to spend a fair bit of money to do it. So the reason I tell this to you now is so that if you are interested in this and you do think there's value to this, that we need to explain why it's it's not a conspiracy theory to report on the World Economic Forum, to report on the Canadian government's links to the World Economic Forum. You can support us by supporting this coverage. You can head to donate.tnc.news, donate.tnc.news, and make a contribution there. And, and we very much appreciate it. I mean, we're committed to going because had so much uh, correspondence from people in past years and even in the last couple of weeks saying, I, I hope you won't give up because it is a big story. And, and even if Canadian press is invested in denouncing anyone who raises these questions of, of spreading conspiracy theories, they are very real questions and they are very important questions. And we're going to continue asking them. One example of this is how Christian Freeland justifies being Canada's finance minister and deputy prime minister, while also being a board of trustees member for the WEF. Because again, at the very least, this is no different than if she were on some corporate board and she were on the Canadian government's cabinet in a very senior position. You'd say, well, maybe there's a little bit of a conflict of interest, especially when the WEF gets money from Canada. Canada gives WEF money. So at the very, very least, this is not asking a lot. Someone should be able to ask her how she's not in a conflict of interest. But no one, to my knowledge, in the legacy media in Canada has done this. They won't respond to our media queries. I was only able to put the question to her because I made a point of finding her in Davos. Hi, Minister Andrew Lawton, True North. I was just wondering if it's a conflict of interest for you to be a trustee while also a cabinet minister. Are you proud of the work? And if so, why is there an issue answering a question about it? Enjoy your panel, Minister. That is a 10 second, I don't know if you can even call it an interview per se. Uh, it's not certainly not an exchange, no interaction. It was very one way. I, you've heard of the walk and talk. Well, in this case, I talked and she walked. And that was attempting to get Christian Freeland to answer what should be a very simple question. Now, ideally, some media figure with access to Christian Freeland and access to Justin Trudeau would put those questions in a forum where they won't duck and run. I'm not optimistic of that happening. 
But the reason that clip is important is because it's proof that True North, when we were there, uh, were asking questions that very few other people are. And by very few, I mean our friends at Rebel. I know they covered the WEF. There was a, a wonderful independent journalist I met from Japan who uh, went there and was asking questions. And interestingly enough, I appeared with her. And a good friend of mine is a Japanese singer. She lives in, in Canada with her husband, who's Canadian. And she's a, a Japanese singer. And she told me uh, when I ran into her a little while ago that I'm apparently huge in Japan now. And I don't know if this is like David Hasselhoff being huge in Germany. But apparently after that interview I did with uh, uh, Masako Ganaha, I like became very huge in Japan. And I met another guitarist who lived in Japan that was like familiar with my work. So uh, if you are watching from Japan, thank you very much. Arigato kazaimasu. I may have butchered the pronunciation but those are the only two words in Japanese I know apart from, uh, so, well, I guess sayonara and sushi, I also know, but I know sushi too well, sadly. But uh, that was a great, and she, uh, Masaka, found Klaus Schwab on the streets and was about to ask him a question, and she was so pleasant, so polite, and Klaus Schwab was like, oh yeah, I've got to go, I've got to go. And then he had a moment of pause, and he said, wait, which media are you from? And she says, I'm an independent journalist. And immediately he says, no, thank you. And leaves because when you're an independent journalist, they know you're not going to be asking the same fawning questions that so many of the people that want to be in the club are asking. So this is why we are going to continue to cover this. And as I mentioned, if you want to chip in yourself and join us, donate.tnc.news, donate.tnc.news. That is the website you can hit. And I'll just end on a little bit of a light note here because uh, John Kerry. Uh, you know, can give you a little bit of candor as well. Just like that Norwegian banker gave us a little bit of honesty when she talked about the pain of the transition. Uh, John Kerry gave a little bit of honesty when he talked about how difficult it is being him. What has been the most challenging aspect of your role as special envoy for climate? Um, <laughs> making my flights on time. <laughs> <laughs> oh! So clever. Oh, yeah, he's telling us to live less, to fly less, to drive less, to eat less. But uh, the only thing that makes his job so challenging is all those flights he's on. Yeah, the rest of you plebs have to stay home while John Kerry flies around to tell more of you to stay home. Well, that is the hypocrisy that is par for the course in Davos and what we will go there to expose. That does it for us for today. This is Canada's most irreverent talk show, The Andrew Lawton Show here on True North. Thank you, God bless, and good day to you all. Thanks for listening to The Andrew Lawton Show. Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.